0: Hello everyone, our first Bible reading will be from Mark chapter 1 verse 16 to 2 verse 12. I don't know how to follow that, but the Bible's a good way to follow anything. Uh, I'll give you a tiny bit more time to open. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 16. Ah, thank you Debbie, amazing. If you need a Bible, chuck your hand up. All right, Mark chapter 1, starting verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases, He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God, saying we have never seen anything like this. Our second Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 11 to verse 26. I'll give you a minute again to get to that. Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not yet risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to Chorazim! Woe to Bethsaida! For of the miracles that that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that, had been, uh, that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do.
1: Well please keep your Bibles open. You might need to turn back to our sermon passage for tonight with, which is uh, the, uh, from Mark chapter 1 verse 16. And uh, you really will want to do that tonight because uh, I'm not putting the words of the, the text of that scripture on the screen. If it's outside that scripture, it'll be on the screen, but if it's uh, from Mark 116 to 212, uh, hopefully it's in front of you. I'll lead us briefly in prayer we'll get stuck into it let's pray heavenly father we thank and praise you that you speak to us so powerfully in your word and by the the power of your spirit at work within and among us we pray that you'd help us to set aside hindrance and distraction that we might rejoice and tremble at your word and be transformed by it to uh, come more into the likeness of our lord and savior jesus christ in whose name we pray amen I reckon it's pretty likely that most if not every person in this room has heard the old saying before you judge or criticize someone you should first walk a mile in their shoes. You guys know me well enough to know that I have a fairly juvenile sense of humor so I appreciate the uh, the common response to this saying which is that's a really good idea because when you finally do criticize them you'll be a mile away and you'll have their shoes. However, the sentiment expressed in that age-old saying is very good. If you really want to know someone, it makes sense to, as best you can, immerse yourself in the experience that they experience, to appreciate what life is like for that person. I say that because our world, and sadly even often our church, can forget that Christianity is at its heart about a person. Not at its heart about a set of religious propositions, important as they are, but about a person after whom uh, our our religion, I guess, is named. We have Jesus Christ as the centre of our belief. And that's why I am a Christ one or Christian. And that's why uh, people say that I belong to Christianity. Christianity, it's all about the person, Jesus Christ. And wherever you happen to be on the spectrum of faith whether it's at uh, the the very preliminary, I don't yet identify as a follower of Jesus and I'm just checking it out, through to I've been a a follower of Jesus, I'm a seasoned saint for 50 years, wherever you are, finding out about a person is far more enjoyable and interesting than, than finding about a series of religious propositions. I remember when I was a kid, Occasionally we went to this pizza restaurant and it was legit one of those really old-fashioned ones where instead of shutting the kitchen up at the back, they had it right at the front, they had a big pane glass window and there was this dude who was, like, kneading the dough and pushing it and then, like, spinning it around and flipping it up. Anyone ever actually seen that sort of thing? It was so cool. And if you said to six-year-old me, well, you can learn about pizza by reading a book or by watching this guy do it, I'm like, well, no-brainer, I'm going to watch the dude do it. I say that because from finding out about Christianity through to being spurred on in the faith that you've had for 50 years, walking a mile in the shoes of Jesus is not only helpful but it's actually quite enjoyable and that's actually what we get to do in tonight's instalment from Mark's Gospel. But it's more than just walk a mile, we actually get to spend a whole day, a day in the life of Jesus. You probably didn't notice this as it was read, But in verse 21 of chapter one, it starts on a Saturday morning, which is what Jews would have understood by the term, when the Sabbath came. Now point of order, the Shabbat, Sabbath starts on Friday night. But when you say, when the Sabbath came, that expression usually indicates Saturday morning. Then from verse 29, we're at the middle of the day where Simon's now healed mother-in-law, kindly serves Jesus and his new disciples a a, a nice uh, Saturday lunch then from verse 32 a little bit after that it's late in the evening when Jesus does a bunch of healings and exorcisms and then finally in chapter 1 and verse 35 it's just before the dawn of the following day where Jesus is speaking to God about what he's going to do on the next day. Now given that just before this what we saw last week from John was super important given that just before this we learned that God is basically starting this world-changing movement that he calls the Kingdom of God. Well, a day in the life of Jesus is a day where are kind of learning about what that Kingdom of God is, in particular, what that King of the Kingdom uh, is and what he's come to do. But just before we go on this day together, notice who it is that gets to see for the first time and firsthand a day in the life of Jesus. Look in your Bibles from verse 16, that was the first verse in our passage, it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a an net into the lake, for they were fishermen, i.e. they were regular Joe Bloggs people with regular Joe Bloggs jobs. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, given that we're on the old song theme tonight, has anyone got a song in mind when he says, I will f- make you... Oh man, I'm just, after five years of being in this congregation, you know songs that were written before you're born, right? If you follow me. Sorry. The point is, it's just an ordinary, everyday kind of person that Jesus get. He does it again verse 18. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat, and with the hired men came and followed him. Every day, normal, unimpressive people from the middle of nowhere They're the ones who get to spend a day in the life of Jesus, learning about Him and the Kingdom of God. If they can, we can. So whoever you are and wherever you're at in terms of your relationship with God, let's enjoy spending a day in the life of Jesus and seeing what it teaches us about the movement that God has begun and continues to this day and will continue into eternity. If you're a note taker, point one on your outline is where we're at. Jesus goes about advancing the Kingdom of God by teaching what it's about. Verse 21, they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now, teaching in the synagogue would have involved a scroll of the the Tanakh, the Old Testament, like what we have. And a visiting preacher could come and read from it. And in Jesus' case, he he used that to speak about the Kingdom of God, which you could do. But the big point here is that his teaching is distinct from what they're normally used to. It has authority. What do they mean? What does Mark mean when he says it has authority? Well, it means that as the King of the Kingdom that he's teaching about, Jesus actually had the power to give very powerful illustrations. The kingdom of God is advancing... So things opposed to the kingdom of God, i.e. the spiritual and the physical sickness and the effects of our fallenness, well, they start to come undone. We get an example of this kind of teaching and what makes it powerful in the next bit from verse 23. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, "'What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us?' (laughs) Spoiler alert answer, yes." I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus, sternly come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, and here's the key bit, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? So I think when Mark says that people recognise he's taught but with authority, they're saying that he used supernatural illustrations of what he was teaching that that's what made it distinct now we already know that the basic gist of jesus teaching was if you just look back on the same page from verse 14 and 15 from from last week the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe the good news there's the teaching but here jesus illustrates the truth of his claim by showing that the kingdom of god truly is at hand the kingdom of satan under whom all sinners naturally reside, is being overthrown. You see it in the casting out of the demon. Now, I've got no doubt that the content and the manner of what Jesus was teaching is also what you could describe as authoritative. I mean, he literally breathed out the words of the Old Testament. He is literally sinless, the king of the kingdom. He's the perfect preacher. But I think Mark is focusing us in on the the way that Jesus illustrates using supernatural power the message that the kingdom of God is at hand. And therefore, you see it not just only with the overthrow of demonic spirits, but also, next, with the overthrow of physical sickness. Read from verse 29 with me. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Now, I don't think it's a, gee, we need lunch and here's a lady who can do it, so I better heal her, right? You know, I better take my... It's, in that time and culture, it would have been quite an honour for her to do what any sort of Jewish person, especially if they were kind of like the matron of the house, would have done. And the reason that detail that, that she would wait on them is given is to show just how immediately and, and fully and comprehensively Jesus' healing of her sickness was. As those ex-fishermen spent a day in the life of Jesus they saw and now we get to see that he's on about advancing the kingdom of God and he does it through the teaching through the proclaiming of the good news that God's kingdom is at hand and he does that with authority i.e. with powerful illustrations but it comes as no surprise that those powerful illustrations are very very popular and so verse 32 that evening after sunset the people brought to jesus all the sick and demon possessed the whole town gathered at the door and jesus healed many who had various diseases he also drove out many demons but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was Uh, and i'm going to leave that little last bit hanging there we're going to find out later in the gospel of mark why he doesn't let the demons reveal his his true and full identity but for now Our day in the life of Jesus has shown us that the kingdom of God is real and that it involves the overthrow of the effects of our sinfulness, our fallenness. Jesus has been healing all kinds of sickness, driving out demons such that crowds are flocking to him from the whole town. And that's why it probably comes as a bit of a surprise when we learn that this day in the life and ministry of Jesus was not a good day. In fact, it was an unsuccessful day in the ministry of Jesus. We will learn why that is, as point two on your outline, Jesus now goes on to show his disciples that the priority for the kingdom work is preaching. Look with me from chapter 1 and verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you, which of course they definitely would have been. And you can imagine how desperate and how excited the disciples were to get to Jesus and to say, come on, keep doing the thing. Keep doing the the healing, the exorcism, because the, the whole town has flocked to you. One day in the life of Jesus, and he's already the greatest success. We can see we're on the winning ticket. But then comes the shock. Verse 38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so... He travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons, i.e., I think preaching and with authority. Jesus shocks his disciples and possibly us by showing that the signs, supernatural and impressive as they well, are, the signs aren't the big deal. It's the teaching that matters, no matter how powerful the illustrations of that teaching are may be, and in Jesus' case, they were perfectly powerful and thoroughly supernatural. In fact, Jesus choosing to leave Capernaum implies that the people in Capernaum have, by and large, not repented and believed. They have not embraced the Kingdom of God. The Gospel writer Matthew, and this is why we had that other reading, recorded what Jesus would ultimately conclude about the town of Capernaum I'll show you the words again I'll put these on the screen this is from Matthew chapter 11 says then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed why because they did not repent and so he starts verse 21 woe to you and woe to you Bethsaida and after a while verse 23 and you Capernaum here it is will you be lifted to the heavens no you'll go down to Hades For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it would be more bearable for Sodom on the Day of Judgment than for you. Brothers and sisters, those who form the Kingdom of God, those who make up the Kingdom of God, are those who repent and believe the Gospel. It's not... Be miraculously healed and you'll enter the Kingdom of God. It's not, the Kingdom of God is at hand, therefore be exorcised. No, 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 it's the Kingdom of Heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news, the Gospel. The real Kingdom of God advances through the preaching and teaching of the Gospel. That is what Jesus came to do. It does not advance through supernatural healings and miracles that were designed to reinforce His teaching. Now don't for a second think that that in any way says we're down on supernatural, God can and I'm certain does often do all kinds of supernatural miraculous work. I've prayed for him to do that many times, matter of fact I heard this morning of an example of one that I think is actually a miraculous healing that God has performed. There will certainly be complete physical spiritual healing when God's kingdom comes upon earth as it currently is in heaven it's one of the greatest things about being a follower of Jesus is living in the sure hope that there will be no mourning crying death or pain the old order of things will have passed when Jesus returns and we live uh, in a culminated relationship with him for all eternity that's one of the most wonderful things that I look forward to but that's not where things are at now and sadly Christians and the world tend to kind of get this wrong i was at summer school last week cms summer school wonderful place to be wonderful time great conference i thoroughly recommend it five stars would recommend is that what you say anyway and uh, i i got talking with um this wonderful couple a uh, uh, man and woman young couple married they're expecting their first child and she uh, suffers a, a condition cerebral palsy. It means she kind of walks a bit like this and is a bit slow and whatever. And um, in, in, in the midst of the conversation, she said that about once every two months or even more frequently, she happens to walk through Parramatta Mall on, on, on a way to the shops or work. People in the street will stop her and offer to pray for her healing in, in, with the thought that this, this, this woman needs to be healed so that she'll become a follower of Jesus. The, the implication is that her condition means that has come about because of her lack of faith. So if they pray for her and she gets here, well then obviously she'd have faith, she'd be a follower of Jesus. Um, first of all, it's theologically rubbish, it comes from what's called the prosperity gospel, which is a disaster, and second of all, it's actually really, if you sort of strip away, the thinking behind it is really offensive. It's kind of like, Well, lady, you suck and you don't have faith, that's why you're a cripple. And if you had better faith, you wouldn't be in the condition you're in. I know it's never said like that, but really that's the obvious implication, isn't it? Which, of course, on a scale of one to highly inappropriate, probably sits about there. And uh, in the conversation, she said, well, now I'm pregnant and, uh, you know, like, I might be a bit more moody, so I'm worried about what I'm going to say every time this happens, right? Uh, Anyway, it was a very fun conversation, even though I was really sad. On that first day in the life of Jesus, his new disciples learned that you can be so distracted by supernatural healing that you miss the gospel. You can be so invested in the supernatural miracles precisely because you're not invested in hearing the good news, repenting and believing. Thankfully, Jesus' ministry lasted more then just one day and the disciples got to learn more of the character of the kingdom of God including what it looks like for those who do repent and believe of which there were some for a Capernaum just as there will be some in our city in our day in the next two sections of Mark Jesus shows them and therefore he shows us how it is that the kingdom of God actually does take root in people's lives how it's made possible for people to repent and believe and what it means when they do so point three on your outline if you're a note taker jesus shows us that for those who do enter the kingdom he removes the cause of their fallenness not only the effects he actually removes the cause of their fallenness not just outward healing but the real deal Read with me from verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, if you, you know your Old Testament law, you'll know that this man, on account of his leprosy, was actually isolated from people and isolated from God. He couldn't enter into God's temple, and if people walked near him, he'd have to yell out, unclean, unclean, and get away. Notice he does not ask to be healed. He asked to be made clean that is from the language of uh, Leviticus to be made ceremonially clean to be able to be back in fellowship with God and with those around him verse 41 Jesus was indignant that is I think Jesus is actually so willing to make him clean so willing to put him back right with God and right with people that Jesus looks with anger and disgust even at the possibility Of the suggestion that jesus might not be willing to do that jesus is desperately willing to put him in right relationship with god and man and so continuing verse 41 he reached out his hand and touched the man i am willing he said be clean immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed now that's astounding that jesus did that with a touching uh healing Because normally whoever touched the leper would themselves become unclean. But here, because there's absolutely nothing impure about Jesus such that he should ever be isolated from God and neighbour, Jesus remains completely unaffected. That is, until he doesn't. Verse 43, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. In other words, go show people that you're now legitimately able to be back in fellowship with God and neighbour according to our Jewish law. But rather understandably, wrongly, but rather understandably, this guy does something else. Verse 45, instead he went out and began to talk freely or literally he began proclaiming spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lowly places, just where that leper would have had to stay before. To put it simply, Jesus traded places, so to speak, with this uh, guy with leprosy. Though perfectly clean, Jesus would yet, in a way, be cut off from God and man in order that this man could be restored with God and neighbour and of course uh, I'm sure most if not all of you know this is just a foretaste of what Jesus ultimately is ultimately going to do on the cross for the likes of you and I he does not deserve the condemnation of God we do but he would undergo the punishment for the sin that you and I deserve when he hung on the cross so that we could be made right again with God and therefore have peace with one another now of course in this miracle, the one here with a leper at hand, it's still all to do with what we might call ceremonial cleanness. The Old Testament law is often more to do with symbol than reality but it should make us wonder, can Jesus do not only what he's required to make one ceremonially clean to deal with the outward stuff like the rash of a leprous guy but can he do it in reality? Can he actually free us from the penalty and the consequence of sin? And, of course, the staggering answer is yes. And that's why we get the next part of Mark's Gospel, which is the the final part of what we're looking at tonight. Chapter 2 and verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. Notice it's kind of like when he left stacks of people there and he got out he came back and so there's all stacks of people in the house they're probably all expecting to be healed again but continuing verse 2 what does Jesus do he preached the word to them but that doesn't stop people who have a friend who really needs some uh, physical healing verse 3 some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them since they could not get into Jesus because of the crowd They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was lying on. I suspect this is a familiar part of the Bible for everyone, it makes for a great Sunday school story. Also makes for a terrific little funny Christian comic I saw once of these dudes digging through the roof and all the rubble falling down and some dude just sitting in the house looking up and he was on his couch and the guys at the top say, oh sorry, we got the wrong house. When Jesus, verse 5, saw their faith, the faith of all of them collectively, presumably their faith that he has the ability to heal this man, he said to the paralysed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Not what people would have expected, but Jesus thinks that's legit. Remember, he's on about teaching and preaching in the hope that people will repent and believe. How can they do that? Well, they need their sins forgiven that is actually a need even greater than the crippled guy to walk more important than his physical healing is him entering the kingdom of god which requires his sins are forgiven verse six now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves why does this fellow talk like that he's blaspheming who can forgive sins but god alone and that's actually a really fair question if I sin against someone, so I find Fletcher's snare drum and put a big hole in it, just because I feel like it, right? That's a terrible sin. And then I, I say to Gibson, Gibson, please, brother, please forgive me for that. That's ridiculous. Gibson's going to look at me like he usually does it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Fletcher more so. It only makes sense that the one you offend is the one from whom you seek forgiveness. All sins, and all Jews know this, is sins are ultimately against God, against you only if I sin, writes David. And so can Jesus speak on God's behalf? Can he represent God to that extent? Well, look at verse 8. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. (laughs) Immediately Jesus did what only God can do. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralysed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? Now, in terms of legitimately saying it, it's clearly the latter. It's easier to legitimately say, get up, take your mat and walk, and for that to happen, than to legit actually say, your sins are forgiven, for that to be the reality but that said, a healing is visible, hence it could serve as an illustration of the invisible reality of having this guy actually be forgiven in the sight of God. And so that's what Jesus chooses to do, verse 10, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive his sins. I want you to know I do speak for God. And so, continuing verse 10, he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Which actually is both a good and a bad ending to this little episode. You see, they praised God, which is wonderful. Praise God that they praised God. But rather than marvelling at what they saw... Did they also listen to what Jesus had been teaching? Did they come to the point of believing that Jesus could forgive their sins such that they turned back to God in repentance? We're not told. But in any event, it is clear as day that God's kingdom is one in which the root cause of our fallenness is dealt with, not just the outward, like the leper. But the inward, the forgiveness of sins, which is shown by the outward, take up your mat and walk. And just as clearly from Jesus himself, the Kingdom of God advances by Gospel preaching and teaching. That's the way the Kingdom of God will advance. That's what we learn in this day plus in the life of Jesus. Now, I'm going to say a couple of things uh, and draw out some implications from what's here in a minute. But firstly... It really does make sense for me to ask, well have you, like the paralysed guy, had your greatest need met? I don't know the hearts of everyone here, I don't know everyone here, you could be visiting, you could be thinking about who Jesus is for the first time, have you had your greatest need met? There are many, many people both then, in this part of the Bible and both today, who heard Jesus call to repent and believe and to enter the Kingdom of God and who even saw the truth of what, he saw, of what he taught, confirmed with supernatural, powerful miracles, yet who still failed to enter the kingdom of God, who still, in the words of Jesus, would not go up, would go down to Hades, because they did not repent. If that was the case then, it certainly can be the case now. Make sure that's not you. I'm very pleased to say it's really simple... To know how to have your greatest need met, the need of forgiveness of sins and being restored with God and therefore peace with one another. It requires two things, repenting and believing. That's what Jesus said back in verse 15 of chapter 1. Have you repented of your sin? That is, have you turned to God and away from your life, your own way? And do you believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. It's not me that's the boss anymore, Jesus is the boss. I do not live for me, I die to me and I live for him. Doing that means you enter the kingdom of God, it means you have your sins forgiven, it means you enjoy right relationship with God both here and now and also into eternity. It means you join that greatest world changing movement called the kingdom of God. If you've not yet done that, for goodness sake, do it today. It's really simple. Say something like, God, yep, I don't want to live for me anymore. I turn away from my sin. I turn to you. I trust in Jesus, the Lord of my life. Thank you that he died to pay for my sin. I want to live for you for here on in. For us, though, the church, who are living in and for the kingdom of God, a really important thing to remember is that there's no such thing as living what I'm going to call parallel to the kingdom. See, it's not that God's great movement is kind of here and my life is kind of here and occasionally I just sort of dip in to the kingdom bit. You know, it's not all, well, here's my bit, my job and, and what I have to do day to day and look after my family and, and, and there's the kingdom of God bit, you know, I'll show up at growth group and I'll show up at church and so I'm sort of Christian for this bit and, and you know, like just normal for, for, the, for the other bits, Right? That does not gel. <laughs> it doesn't work. It's not what kingdom life is. Uh, it's as dramatic as going from being a paralytic to walking, right? You, you'll never be the same again. Uh, it's all, to use my uh, juvenile language, it's all the Jesus bit. So when it comes to, say, my day-to-day job or my study or my school, it's not like here's the school bit, here's the Jesus bit. No, no, no. This is all the Jesus bit, so how can I act in my work, in my school? How can I plan for my, what I'm going to do vocationally in such a way that advances the kingdom of God? I've heard wonderful stories over the years of people who are, you know, professional IT workers but who work out that if they stay on their career path they'll sit in front of a computer screen and barely talk to another living human and say, forget that, I'll become a taxi driver or these days an Uber driver. I don't need all the money, but I can speak to heaps of people if I'm driving them around or cutting their hair, or whatever. Right? There's all sorts of things that you can do that are, the world will think are nuts. But given that the Kingdom of God's going to last forever in this world, doesn't actually make a lot of sense. You could be someone who goes, you know, I can work my five, six days a week. But if I just get a, a slight demotion or drop and don't work full time, I can spend a day of my week teaching scripture. There's a really good way, to, and that's the way to advance the Kingdom, by the way, the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. I can't answer for everyone here, I can't suggest things for everyone here, but I think you can all think to yourself, well, how is it that the entirety of my life can be lived in service of the Kingdom, especially when it, in light of the fact that the Kingdom of God advances through the ministry of the Word? Now, what I mean by the ministry of the Word communicating the truths of God in order to see his kingdom built and strengthened. It is a different kind of ministry to all others. I'm really delighted that someone set out some of extra chairs today. That's absolutely vital and they did it because they're a follower of Jesus. However, it is more important for the growth of the kingdom that the word of God be preached, proclaimed, taught and that happens, the kind of people that pack out chairs are normally the ones that kind of want to do that anyway, right? Right? Uh, there is you might hear around the trap some sort of in in theological nerdism some people that argue that only a few christians are kind of set aside to evangelism and and everyone else kind of does their bit right Eh, that doesn't take the kingdom of god seriously jesus himself said oh guys follow me for a day what am i here to do to preach hey leper you know i didn't want you to do that but it's really good that you did right that's what we're sort of on about and so you can ask your question well what's my part when it comes to, uh, to the ministry of the word and prayer, singing is one of them, that's a real easy one, right? Engaging in singing, just engaging in a word ministry. It might be the case that you've never thought to yourself about the possibility of getting a theological education and entering into full-time vocational ministry or getting a theological education and thinking of a place in some other part of the world that really needs the gospel and saying oh, i'll devote my life to doing that uh, that's not extreme in the kingdom that's normal it's extreme to our fallen world but we don't live for the world we live for the kingdom uh, let me uh oh. go away oh <laughs> let me lead us in prayer <laughs> And it's up to know what we're going to do next. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was completely guiltless and perfect, that he traded place with us, places with us. He enabled us to be restored to right relationship with you and therefore have peace with one another. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, he made it so clear and obvious that as you are the God who speaks... So his kingdom will be built by the proclamation of the gospel. We pray that you would enable us uh, to join in that task of kingdom building uh, through proclaiming the truth in in the various situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in. Pray also that you enable us to to think and plan about what we do with our lives and relationships uh, in such a way that also seeks uh, to build his kingdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.